Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. COVID-19 cases are surging in Illinois, and Chicago is seeing more than twice as many COVID-related hospital admissions per day as it was a month ago. And the city's positivity rate has nearly doubled in the last 30 days. So Governor Pritzker has decided to once again restrict indoor services at bars and restaurants. Public gatherings in Lake and McHenry counties will be reduced to 25 people. And indoor dining and indoor bar service will be temporarily closed. Although outdoor service in tents or tented igloos and takeout, delivery, and drive through service will remain available. But restaurant owners, even Mayor Lori Lightfoot, are pushing back. We're going to continue our engagement uh, with the governor of his team, um, but it's not looking good. I strongly believe that restaurants, those of us who abide by the regulations, are the safest space for people to convene. That's Rohini Day. She's the owner of Vermilion in the River North area. We'll hear more from her near the end of the podcast. But first, let's turn to Dr. Emily Landon. She's an infectious disease specialist at the University of Chicago. Dr. Landon, welcome back to Reset. Hey, how are you? I'm good. So your thoughts on these restrictions? I think these restrictions are absolutely necessary. It is a huge travesty for these businesses. I I can't imagine how challenging it is to work in the hospitality industry, especially owning bars and restaurants right now. It is it's heartbreaking to see what this is doing to this this industry, but it is absolutely essential. You know, it's not just theoretical. There's clear evidence that there are many, many outbreaks are associated with bars and restaurants. And it's not the bars and restaurants' fault. You know, mm-hmm. it's just the way it is. We saw this play out, and it's kind of, um, it's still kind of playing out where we see our political leaders in the state of Illinois questioning how contact tracing is working. That uh, the mayor says, well, our, our, our contact tracing doesn't show its restaurant outbreaks. These, this, the state says, yes, it does. So what do we do? I mean, what message does that send when, when we have our political leaders in different municipalities squabbling over uh, contact tracing? Well, regardless of what the contact tracing shows in any granular area with this restaurant or that restaurant, what what really matters is that we know from previous outbreaks everywhere that restaurants and bars are one of the few places where all the the three C's, so to speak, come together. That's the close contact. And even if you're not sitting right next to someone, you know, because you're in a closed environment, which is another C, and there is... uh, closed ventilation system, because of that, you don't even need to be sitting near someone in order to pick up COVID from them because they're not wearing masks. We know this, not wearing masks indoors. So that's crowded, closed, close contact or contact because people don't have their masks on, doesn't even need to be close. Mm-hmm. Those three things come together to create super spreader situations. And bigger outbreaks are sort of created or or sort of community spread is sort of triggered by these 
larger super spreader type events. And it doesn't take very much. I mean, you know, most of the time you go to a bar and a restaurant, as long as nobody there has COVID, you're fine. And so most trips to bars and restaurants are fine. The problem is that as the amount of cases, the number of cases goes up in a community, the likelihood that somebody right. in that bar or restaurant has COVID goes up as well. And then, you know, all bets are off. Everybody's at a very high risk. So I would not wait for contact tracing to tell us that bars and restaurants are a problem. With the increasing number of cases, they're just not a safe place for people to be. Yeah. And, and we've seen this play out. There's a story this week in Chicago of a of a restaurant on the north side, uh, Big Chicks, and uh, Tweet, the two restaurants next to each other, where yeah. a customer came in to celebrate his birthday with symptoms of COVID, waiting for results of a COVID test, got the results after came in to, to have a birthday party, and called the bar and said, I was positive. I mean, that's the kind of thing when, when you talk about the ideology of personal responsibility versus municipalities restricting uh, groups, that's a perfect example of, of what can go awry. Yeah, the reality is that because COVID spreads before people have symptoms, we can't even say, well, if this guy would have just not come out for his birthday, it would have been fine. No, if he would have gone out the night before he had symptoms, he would have been just as contagious Mm. and he wouldn't have known it. No one would have known it. It's really hard for people to accept that. The reality is that if anybody can have COVID at any moment, and if you can't tell whether or not you have COVID by whether or not you have symptoms, then nobody's really safe to be having contact with all the other people in a restaurant. You can't trust whether or not those people have COVID or not. And so it just is an unsustainable situation. What should we be looking at? Because we've been told there's cases, there's a positivity rate, there's hospitalization, there's even deaths. What what areas should we be looking at as uh, citizens in the state of Illinois to recognize the severity of the situation? Well, I would say the number of hospitalizations is really disturbing. I mean, at the University of Chicago, we're seeing our case counts go up. We haven't been this high since uh, March and April, Mm -hmm. maybe in May of last year, and it just keeps rising every single day. And I know many of the other hospitals in Chicago are seeing the same thing right now. The suburban hospitals are also seeing it. You know, in the summer, we had a big increase in cases And it was largely confined to younger individuals who weren't as sick. That's really not not nearly as bad. But put it this way, there's some evidence coming out now. It's very preliminary that suggests that wearing masks actually reduces the amount of dose of COVID that you get in when you're exposed to COVID. And that may reduce your infection, Mm. sort of make you less sick. So maybe over the summer, people were more able to be outside, more able to keep distance, more able to wear their masks when around other people, and they didn't get as sick. But now that people are crowding together inside, where ventilation really plays a huge role, and there just isn't the support in restaurants and and buildings, we just don't know enough about the ventilation in those places. And they were designed you know, to be energy efficient and hold that basically holds COVID in, meaning that people get higher doses. And I think that might be why we're seeing such a big increase. It's mm, really yeah. upsetting. We've seen this ideology. We've seen this play out. I mean, obviously, it's not this is not a political conversation, but you hear from some of our political leaders who shall not be named saying COVID's not a big deal. Uh, yeah. That it's uh, it was a rally last night just saying uh, COVID, COVID, COVID. Our media is overplaying it. Most people get it. They don't get sick. When we hear what you just said, What does that do to how we are preparing as a nation, as a country, as a people to keep ourselves safe when we are in the middle of this surge? And Gozi Ezeke said it really well on when she she did the appearance on CNN yesterday. And she said, 
there's a strong desire to believe in things that are comforting. And I think that people want to believe that this is less of a problem. They want to be able to see their family for Thanksgiving. They want to be able to get out of the house. They don't want to be facing down a long winter stuck inside again. And I think that they'll grab on to any positive message that they can, even if it's not real, but that's, you know, that's classic denial. And I think some of our political leaders really want to believe that it's not a problem either because, you know, maybe they are not able to or unwilling to do the things that they need to do in order to reduce the risk for people and to be actually comforting. But the reality is that there are a lot of outcomes that are bad besides just deaths. You know, certainly we've lowered the death rate and that's great, great news for every patient that gets COVID. But there are a lot of long-term negative outcomes that we're seeing. People tend to have, you know, there's this long haul COVID. There are people that have long-term kidney, lung, and heart damage after having COVID, even young, healthy people, people with symptoms that go on for many months, and we don't know when those will end, if they will end. I think there's, and certainly having to be in the hospital and intensive care unit is not a good no. outcome. As we think about some of the things that were top of mind in March and April when we were seeing rates that were at the same level, one of which was uh, PPE, right? The idea of, of protecting uh, our frontline essential workers. Has that all been rectified? Are we at a position where we now are prepared to at least protect our frontline workers as the second surge is among us? I'm not an expert in hospital supply chains, but I have learned quite a bit in the past few months. <laughs> I think we have a lot more PPE than we did before. We have better supply chains than we did before. We feel prepared and ready to go. We've known that we were going to have a, a surge, but the places that are going through the worst of it right now in Northern Wisconsin and parts of Idaho, you're seeing in the Dakotas, you know, they're still telling that they need to reuse their N95s. There still isn't, you know, we're still having to spend more than what we want to spend on our supplies because there just isn't, this is the kind of time where we I would hope that our government would do, and this is not political, I, I just would hope that only our government is big enough to create more PPE than we could possibly ever use for this pandemic. No business had a, has any incentive to create more PPE than they can sell. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we sort of rely on larger organizations to say, we just need to do it anyway. And so we're going to buy up all this PPE and then we're going to use it when we need it. And if we have too much, we'll save it for the next time. Hopefully there won't be one. But that's not how businesses work. And, and this government is really relying on, you know, sort of the free market. And the free market says they're only going to make as much as you use last week. And if every week the cases are increasing, then you're always in a sort of less than situation. Yeah, you're always playing catch up. That's just the market, yeah. right. Uh, Dr. Landon, as, as I think about the... We've talked about the PPE. We've talked about uh, hospitalization. We've talked about how this is uh, the surge is bigger than than some of the numbers we saw back in March and April. When, if the restaurant restrictions and the gathering restrictions, as we're down to 25 people, if they don't work, if uh, we had some restaurant restaurateurs who came on uh, earlier in the uh, show who said, "Well, is this just going to force people back inside? They go inside and they have gatherings at their house or other places where they're they're not as restricted." What's the next step? What cards can be dealt when you're talking about trying to mitigate uh, the spread of a deadly virus? Justin, I think you're hitting on the real problem here. In the spring when we had a stay-at-home order, we, we just needed to do something immediate and emergent because we didn't know where things would spread and what to do and exactly how to, you know, we needed to mitigate quickly. And it worked from that standpoint because a lot of people followed it. But now I think 
I don't think we need a stay-at-home order. I think that we now know that closing all of the businesses doesn't make any sense. I think the other problem is that there's some good evidence using the, I think the Google analytics about where people are moving around and then some other analytics about um, people who, you know, comparing the data about where they said they'd been in, in the last week in April compared to now, even though the numbers are going up so high, they're still having a lot of close contact with people outside their family. They're inviting people over. And I think these restaurateurs are right. I mean, the restaurants are dangerous. There's no, no way around that. But closing them isn't going to solve the problem of people having gatherings in their homes and isn't going to solve the problem of people not wanting to wear masks in other, you know, in settings. I don't think a stay-at-home order is going to solve those problems either. I think this is up to individuals. I don't think there are a lot more levers that we can use. Certainly, it's not keeping restaurants and bars open is sending the wrong message. It tells people that those places are safe. And like it or not, people rely on the government to tell them what's safe. Yeah. And um, when they say you can go to this restaurant as long as it's a 25% capacity, people expect they're not going to get sick there. And that's just not true. Yeah. So we have to close them. But I can't stop people from doing what they want to do in their own homes. But I think that we have to really do some soul searching about whether or not this is the kind of, you know, whether or not we want to make the situation better or not. Infectious disease specialist, Dr. Emily Landon, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Uh, Already, already hoping you'll return. (laughs) Dr. Landon, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Those are some cold, hard facts from Dr. Landon. But we also spoke with Rohini Day. She's the owner of Chicago's Vermilion Restaurant. And while she's no science denier, she strongly believes that she and other responsible restaurant owners are creating very safe spaces for diners, and they're not responsible for this current COVID surge. I strongly believe that restaurants, those of us who abide by the regulations, are the safest space for people to convene. We, I mean, go above and beyond, beyond the 100% masking, sanitation, plexiglass divides, distancing to the point of echoes in our restaurant, uh, air purification, temperature controls, logs, tracing. We take safety to the nth level. And believe me, I am 100% pro-science, pro-caution, and I do believe spaces that violate any of this should be shut Mm -hmm. down immediately. But that's not just restaurants. And I also strongly believe that this current spike, not just in Chicago, not just in Illinois, but around the country, is all of us as individuals and consumers and people dropping our guard and socializing unchecked and Mm -hmm. recklessly in our homes. And so I do believe shutting down restaurants is going to spiral and cause this vicious cycle to even spike beyond this control. We are the safest places to convene. And those of us who abide by these should be encouraged instead of driving people indoors and into their homes, because that is what is going to happen. Well, what do you do in this uh, situation, Rohini? Because uh, as we talked with some of the other uh, uh, restaurant owners, some in the suburbs are defying the order. Some are, are, are filing suit against the, the governor. Are you at the point where you say, listen, you know, I, I, I know that you're following the science. I follow the science as well, but uh, I have to step up and defy this order. Are, are you at that point? I'm glad you asked that. So what we will do is, is battle. We're going to plea with our governor. I, I'm actually going to take a step back. And, you know, 25 of us women restaurateurs in Chicago have collected under a group called Let's Talk, which I formed three mm-hmm. months ago mm-hmm. for us to combat this crisis collaboratively. 
We've been su supported enormously by Choose Chicago and the Illinois Restaurant Association and done collective things. So part of it is pooling our collective strength politically to, to really try and make the governor rethink this and support our businesses. And part of it is pooling together to pivot collectively, so to come up with creative solutions for takeout and holiday tastings for corporations and the consumer to entertain at home using our businesses and supporting our women-owned businesses. Mm. But no, we will not break the law. That is not who we are. We will com uh, comply by it, but we will fight for our businesses. And, we, and we've been really, really uh, supported by Chicago media, including the Tribune, that really showcased our yeah. fight. And uh, I do believe the rest, our restaurants are the soft power of our city. We're a huge draw for leisure, for business traffic. And I fear that drastic actions today will strangle our existence and the vibrance of our city in the future. Yeah. Well, my last question for you just is about there's a contradiction when it comes to all the businesses and the restrictions placed on them. Why do you think restaurants are bearing the brunt of this? One aspect of restaurants is that you have to remove the mask to eat and drink, which you don't have to in a store. But you do in a casino if you need to, do, to have a bite. And, you, you, and, and everybody does in airlines or airplanes when they're munching on their nuts and pretzels. You know what I mean? Right. So it is scattershot. It's counterintuitive. But the thing that really, you know, beyond the injustice of why our industry is, I see, I fear that this will tremendously, we are ultimately social people. If it can be done safely and controlled, we need to do everything to perpetuate that. Not to mention that the restaurants cumulatively are a huge part of our economy. We drive 10% of the labor force in the country and 4% of the GDP. And just because we are fragmented small businesses does not mean we are less trivial than banks or motor, you know, GM or Chrysler mm -hmm. or airlines or any of the other industries that get massive bailouts. So I'm very disappointed in our Senate for bottlenecking the Restaurants Act, which was, you know, rolled into heroes and stuck and there's no stimulus bill and they're, they're, they're playing the partisan game while our businesses collapse by the day. Yeah. Rohini Day is the owner of Vermilion Restaurant in Chicago's River North area. Rohini, thanks so much for joining us and appreciate you uh, talking about the uh, situation restaurants are in right now. I appreciate it. Thank you. And that's today's Reset. For more great conversations like this one, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Tomorrow we'll sit down with Mayor Lori Lightfoot an extended one-on-one. -on -one. You won't want to miss that. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you right back here tomorrow. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.